I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lonnie. Hi, I'm Lonnie, a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. And I'm, it'll tell the story. Um, first time I've ever been in this room, and I've been in a lot of Overeaters Anonymous rooms. And I came into Overeaters Anonymous, um, I'm abstinent a little more than 17 and a half years now, but I'll say 17 and a half years. Um, right now, today, I am 25 pounds overweight. And I walked into this room 185 pounds overweight. And I'm not that today. So to some of you who 25 pounds overweight, you've hit your top, and I've just told your worst nightmare, you know, God bless you, and just say, because somebody else will come, and they'll tell a different size thing next, next time, probably. But for my story, I, that's where I had to be to come in here and be where I am. I came into Overeaters Anonymous in um, January of 1986. I became abstinent at the end of February of 1986, and most imperfectly, um, I have remained abstinent and in this program and active in this program and giving service and, and doing all kinds of good things and having some sort of a life that I just shared with Stan earlier that I think is pretty much of a bore. I listen to other people. I think, God, you guys are so exciting. You do really exciting stuff, and I'm pretty much a bore. My food's kind of like a bore. And, you know, I just kind of do the same things all the time. Um, I think I was born a compulsive overeater. I was 12 pounds, 8 ounces at birth, and my mother knew I was coming, and they could have saved me a piece of cake and bought me a tricycle. Somebody's calling. It's okay. Um, so my coping skill, my early coping skill was to eat. I'm an eater. My husband, when you call my house and you leave messages for me, he tells me them eaters are on the phone, and, and that's right, because I'm one of them eaters. Um, I, I ate. I'm not, I, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm probably easily 20 years sober and don't even think about it, because when it, when it came down to alcohol, if it was sweet and you could put pineapple in it and a little umbrella on it and, and it was blue, I would drink it. You know, and if it wasn't, forget it, because that was nasty stuff and I didn't want to waste my time. I want to eat. Today, I, I, I have the same attitude. If I have a choice in drinking it or eating it, I'm a compulsive overeater. I need to chew. There's a chew factor involved in what I do. And I, and I haven't had dinner yet, so as far as I'm concerned, life is perfect right now. So, um, gee, I, my disease manifested itself with me in lots of ways. In my behavior, most definitely. I'm really kind of scattered today, which is which is absolutely wonderful. I don't remember things. I can't quote the big book, which is good. It makes me reread things over and over again. My sponsor reminds me I have a short memory. That's why I do the same things over and over again. And I ask the same questions, like, why do I keep doing the same thing over and over again? And she says, because you have a short memory. That's okay. And, and it's kicking in right now, which is probably good. On my way here, um, and I've been known to have the most fabulous pitches in my head on the way to a meeting, and fortunately I've never been able to remember one of them. Thank you, God. Um, and tonight I was just concerned with trying to park where the Brentwood meter maid won't find me before something times out because I couldn't find a sign, but I'm on Wilshire. And I'll just trust to that and not worry about it. I also am recovering from terminal uniqueness. And I will show you how terminal uniqueness works for me. Uh, up until about three years ago, I was an only child. Um, and I'm 60, so that'll kind of tell you the dysfunction of my family. And I might speak about that if I have time or not. But um, I'm, racially, I'm black, white, Japanese, and Hawaiian, and it's an even quarter split. And I can cut myself out of a group of people so fast because being an only child, there's nobody else walking around like me. And, and the sister I discovered I have, uh, she's only a half-sister, so she can't make the same claim 
to it that I can. And it just, I just slipped in and out of this very easily. I was born in Los Angeles. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. I live today not all that far from where I was born. Um, and, you know, I, I'm an escape artist that never went anywhere, but I ate. So I married very early at 18. I had my first daughter at 19, right before my 20th birthday. I have three adult children. I've raised them most dysfunctionally and created a very dysfunctional family as only somebody like myself could. Um, my husband is, uh, I'll easily divide it and say he's, he's, he's a dry drunk. He's never had a drink. That's his saving grace. That has probably kept me out of civil brand because I most likely would have stabbed him in the heart with a spoon a long time ago had he been, had he been a practicing alcoholic. He really doesn't understand that. And those of us who have been in the program and share some recovery can spot the, just the behavior, can spot it. He's a black-white thinker. He sees everything in black and white, good, bad, very judgmental. And um, I, have, I pray for him a lot. He's not mine. He belongs to his, his, his higher power. And no matter what I do, I cannot make him do what I want to make him do, damn it. But anyway, it's not like I don't try all the time. So here I am, so I ate. Um, I grew up. Uh, there, were, there were just circumstances that were circumstances. My mother is a 100-pounder. My grandmother is a 100-pounder. I believe I was destined to use food as a coping mechanism. Whether I was destined or not, I did. Um, and my stepfather, I was raised by a stepfather, was um, a raging alcoholic and um, an insane person. And life in our house was a war zone. Life outside was pretty easy. I grew up in, in what? In the projects. And sometimes, every now and then, I'd go past there and go, oh my God, I can't believe I survived this. You know, it's interesting. We will survive all kinds of things. I have survived all kinds of things, which, which brings me here. Bless you. At this time of the year, 1985, when I was um, mucking around in my bottom, definitely mucking around in my bottom, I am working a job that, at which I am not well thought of. I had always been um, a very good employee and, and, and a very valued employee, and I rose to the occasion all the time. I'm not exactly without intelligence. That can be a blessing or a curse. In my case, at that point in time, it was a curse. Um, I, I, I'm definitely recovering from it, thank goodness, but I have that, that personality and that mental exchange, that wit that says, don't cross wits with me if you don't have one, because when I step on you, it is not going to be merciful. It is going to be public. I'm going to allow you to squirm in your own mess, and I've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and I won't be bested. Now, that sounds really glib. I'm not a person that goes into the bathroom after a verbal exchange and goes, oh, my God, if I could have just thought of this, I would have told her this. And I think of it in one quarter of a nanosecond, and in less than that, it rolls right off my tongue. And then I walk around going later on, like, you know, maybe I really just should have shut up. But the truth was I didn't know how. That was one of the coping skills, considering where I was and what I had to do and, and how I had to get through a day and, you know, I, I came through my teenage years absolutely amazed that I wasn't beat to a pulp and they never did and today it still amazes me that I should have been beat up a lot when I was in high school and they never did because at that time most exchanges were verbal and I was very very good at it and it was disarming because I was almost a straight-A student and didn't look like I should have been really good at it I was very good at it so you know like like a little heat-seeking missile I would just kind of wait and somebody somebody would step on my toes and I'd nail them every time and you'd think they'd learn and they wouldn't and they'd do it again and I'd do it again I thought, ah, oh, this works. And, you know, you keep doing the same thing. I will keep doing the same thing as long as it works. I abstain today because it works. And in, my, and in my bad behavior, I did that because it worked. 
Um, bless you. Um, so here I am. I find myself right at this time of the year, the holiday season. Do you know for compulsive overeaters? I think for regular people, the holidays might start in at Halloween and might end on January the 1st. As a compulsive overeater, mine starts three weeks at least before Halloween and ends right after Easter. And that, to me, that's the holiday season. That, that's the candy season. You know, there was nothing that thrilled me more than after Christmas and after Easter when everything chocolate went on sale and you found it in the carts by the meat department and it was all 50% at least. I was in Pecock heaven. You know, I would buy that stuff. Oh, my God. The wonder. The wonder today. I had blood work done recently and I, I was amazed at the, you know, everybody wants to know what your cholesterol. Don't ask me this stuff because I had to call my sponsor and tell Astro to decipher it and I found out it's all incredibly, incredibly good. And that is a direct result of working this program and abstaining from compulsive overeating. But I can tell you it wasn't that way when I got here. And when I got here, when I came here right at that, um, it was in January, that holiday, that Christmas holiday right before, I worked at Aerospace, and I had partied, which meant I ate everything that didn't move. You know, I partied. And... Um, I would go home at night and, well, I pretty much wouldn't eat when I would go home in the evening too much. You know, I would start eating at 5 o'clock in the morning and I would eat all day. I would graze all day long, graze all, but by the time dinner came, I would eat almost, I would confine myself to almost two full plates of food for dinner. And, and, and I would watch my ankles and my feet swell to the size of my calves. And I would lightly cover myself with an afghan. It works out real good when it's October, November, December, January. Try that when it's July in the middle of the city. There's no air conditioning in your house. And, you know, and you don't want anybody to see the physical manifestation of what's happening. And I talk about that physically because I'm a 100-pounder. I talk a 100-pounder position and I tell a 100-pounder story. In no way at all do I put down the the strength of your disease predicated by the how much weight you have ever known or not known because some of you are thin and look normal and you are crazy as hell and I know because I have listened I have heard you and went oh thank you God may I not be blessed with whatever that person has you know I'll take mine because I can identify it okay it's a number on it I can identify the thing um, so I really don't do that so I'm, I'm talking from my own position which is the position of somebody of, of a woman who is five foot six who walked into this program at 385, I mean, I'm sorry, 340 pounds. Okay, 300, that, that, that's more than two people. That's more than two average-sized people. I've lost more weight than an average-sized woman of five, six ways. And that's a lot to carry around. Um, so that's the position from which I talk. Um, there's a difference, and I have a dear friend, and she, she, she very passionately would tell me she feels like she's, she weighs 300 pounds. And, she, and you may feel like you weigh 300 pounds, but the truth is you don't. You can still sit down and buckle your seatbelt. I was in Overeaters Anonymous and abstinent, had been abstinent and given up some weight and sat in a friend's car the first time I buckled the seatbelt. And I just went, oh, my God, I actually buckled the seatbelt instead of stretching it to its full extension and holding on to it. I, I could actually do that. And so um, I still today will size up things. I have no fear about sitting in booths or going through turnstiles, but there was a time that I did, and that was that time that brought me here. And I was at that bottom, and I didn't, I, I was really 12-step innocent. I didn't know anything about a 12-step. I knew Alcoholics Anonymous existed, so I knew those two words to get, went together, and that was all I really knew. And I say thank goodness because there was no argument in me. 
And it's not that I'm a big arguer, but I do ask lots of questions. You tell me you want me to do something, I'll ask you lots of questions. You know, and if it doesn't sound right, then I didn't, well, then I'm not going to do it. Um, early on in the program, I remembered saying something like, you know, I just wanted to come here. I would let you tell me what to eat. I would, I would you know, eat, do whatever you told me to do. And then I would give up 150 pounds and I'd be okay. That was one of the first lies I told in this program because I was not going to ever do what you told me to do. I was never going to eat what you told me to eat. And I really wasn't all that concerned about being okay. But you know what? What I actually did, the action was, that was the thought. And the action was I shut up. I figured out some stuff kind of early on. I probably, because I was at that bottom, I shut up. And I started this program at a very small um, meeting in Westchester, and it was a step study, and we studied the AAs 12 and 12, and we read. And so we would read a paragraph, we'd go around the room, we would write for so many minutes, and we had, we had a speaker, this was a busy little meeting, we had a speaker, and then we would share the candlelight. And I remember that first time coming to Overeaters Anonymous, while well, the pictures are going around, um, reeking of whatever chicken delicious was of the night that I had driven in to, you know, to load up in the car so I could have the courage to walk into that room. And I walked into that room, and, and people introduced themselves. Two people are, that I'm still very close to were at that very first meeting. And the 100-pounder meeting today, by the way, is in that room. Um, I introduced myself as a compulsive overeater because I heard everybody else say that. And something inside said, oh, my God, this is exactly what I am. This is, there really is. There really are people who are in the middle of a huge meal and planning the next meal. There are really other people do this. I thought I was the only person that did that. You know, it was just it was just amazing. And within um, about six weeks after that first meeting, I was struck abstinent. I heard another person in the program say that, and I came to understand that is what happened to me because it took me a couple of years down the pipe to really understand what happened to me. And it was... Um, I became abstinent on a Friday morning after a very, very passionate and powerful Thursday night 100-pounder meeting. And in those days, it was at the um, Veterans Building in Westchester. So, I mean, in um, Westwood. It was a huge, huge meeting. And, it, and I walked away that night just really moved. And the next morning, I got up and I thought, you know what? I heard, I heard some things. I heard some things that I knew were damn lies. I was never going to do that. And the damn lies that I heard was people did not eat sugar and they didn't eat white flour. And I, there was a man who said that. And, I, and, and had I been in his in the vicinity of him, I swear I would have hit him. I would have actually struck him, but I wasn't close enough. And so I just shut up and thought, liar. Later I was to come to understand, no, he was telling the truth. And um, anyway, that was that Thursday night. But I heard a lot of other stuff that Thursday night. And I woke up Friday morning and I... Um, I sat on the side of my bed. My house was partially, part of it was under construction for an add-on, and so things were kind of torn up. And there was a mirror propped up against the, the wall, and I was nude. This, this, this in itself ought to make you abstain. But anyway, I was nude, and I sat there, and I looked, and I thought, I'm going to try this thing. These people said I, didn't, I only just had to do it for a day. I'm not giving up a darn thing. I'll just do it for one day. And that was a Friday. And that Friday morning, I got dressed, caught my van pool, went through pumps, picked everybody up. I worked out in Long Beach, um, and I used to hunt and gather. I used to stop at three places on my way, you know, to the van pool, and, and I didn't. And I went, I got to work, and I had a breakfast, and I'm sitting at my desk. It's kind of early because we came in early. But before I did that, uh, the, the van pulled in, and I got off of the van, and I'm thinking, wow, these people in this, they don't even understand. My 10 van pool riders, they don't understand. I'm abstinent. I've got this thing. I heard these people. I've listened for six weeks now. I'm intelligent. I know what they're talking about. 
And so as I'm going into the building, I get intercepted by a, a woman with a bag. And, and she came up to me. She said, I'm glad I caught you on the outside because we're not supposed to do this on the inside. She said, but, you know, you bought those Girl Scout cookies. And I, I've got your four boxes of Girl Scout cookies. And I went, oh, man, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not good. This, I was going to take those cookies to the movies and hide out in the dark and stuff myself with some popcorn and try to keep the hulls out of my brassiere because in those days I would come home and get undressed and it'd be two or three times. I'd think, how did I miss anything? You know, how did anything get past me? But that, they would be stuck. And um, th- th- that's a mystery. That amazes me to this day when I tell that story. But it's true. I did this more than once. So anyway, I'm thinking, but I've got these four boxes of cookies. I've got to do this. What am I going to do with these things? So I take them inside. And there's some guys I used to sit and eat lunch with sometimes. I thought, I'll give them, I'll give them away. So I'll get rid of them. This is like a... 7.45 in the morning. And so I go and I give them. They're happy to get the cookies. I paid for them. What the heck? They get the cookies. My favorite. And I go and I sit at my desk and I'm like, see? I, I knew I had this. I got this nailed. This, I don't know what you guys are struggling with, but this is, not, this is not so horrible. And I'm sitting there and somebody comes up behind me and he says, you know, he says, um, tell everybody when the rest of the crew comes in that in the audit room, which was the cubicle next door to my cubicle, that we had an early morning meeting and there's donuts in there. And other than the telling of this story, it's the only time I've ever said this that I think. But I sat there and I went, God, you are fucking with me. But let me go check out the donuts first. Because remember now, I'm abstinent for probably a good two and a half, three hours by now. Because I got up early. So I get up and I go around the corner. In all my girth, I go around the corner. And I look and I think, these, these came from the cafeteria. These aren't even really worthy donuts. Truth is, I don't really even care for them. I just ate them. But I ate lots of things I didn't care for. And I went back and I sat down and I, and I thought, I... I I think I'm going to be okay today. I'm just going to be okay today. And that was a Friday. And from that point on, I've been okay. Most imperfect. My food is not perfect. My ab- I'm going to talk about the difference between the food and the abstinence. Anybody here struggle with the concept of food and abstinence? Somebody, okay, thank goodness, because I, I struggle with that concept sometimes. And, and I'm on a roll right now, so I might as well talk about it. I recently made a startling discovery. Somebody's been calling her food into me all the time, and she's and she's calling in rice cakes. I'm listening to this. You know, she calls her food. She makes a food commitment. Rice cakes. Yeah, I've had rice cakes a long time. So you know, every day, every day, rice cakes here, rice cakes. Yeah, and rice cakes sounds kind of good. I think I'll have some of those. You know, what is it? Salted styrofoam. Come on, give me a break. I can eat this stuff. So finally, I I I go to the grocery store. And I'm like, get those rice cakes. I get a package of rice cakes. Open up the package. They are now separated in two separate packages. And I read the label because I really do weigh and measure uh, important things, not lettuce and stuff, but, you know, important things like the real food. So I add it up, and I'm thinking, yeah, in, in my food plan, my food plan is flexible. My abstinence is not flexible. It is firm. But my food plan is flexible. In my food plan, I could eat, I could eat these. No, no problem at all. What's the big deal? Throw them in the car, take them home, open them up, and proceed in one day to eat the entire package. The first, because remember, they're wrapped. They're double-wrapped on the inside. The first part went for breakfast, and the second part either went for lunch or dinner. doesn't matter. But they were gone in a day because I'm a package woman. If it's a little package, I eat it. If the package is 37 and a half pounds, I eat it. <laughs> there is no anything in between. But, you know, just in case, because remember, remember, I'm 17 and a half years abstinent. You know, I'm 160-ish pounds down. These are rice cakes, for God's sakes. What is going on here? So to prove myself, I go out and buy some more. And I have the exact same experience the next day. Well, by then, I'm, I'm getting ready to call my sponsor, because I think this might have happened over the weekend. Anyway, a couple of days went by, I hadn't talked to my sponsor. I called my sponsor. 
and I'm telling her this story, and I'm actually embarrassed. And she said, oh, yeah. And here's the kicker. I can't stop thinking about them when to open the package. And I define things pretty easy today. I, I, can get, I can come up with an abstinent meal almost anywhere. Not in Baskin-Robbins, but almost anywhere I can come up with an abstinent meal. Because my food plan, my food is flexible enough to allow me to do that. But when I hook into a food that I cannot take my portion and not think about the rest, and here's the kicker for me, and not think about the rest. I come home, I go shopping, I hunt and gather, I come home, I got spaghetti squash on the sink, I got a big thing of apples, I put them over here, I get my apple, I do not stand around waiting for the next time I get the apple. The apple is there, I'm going to get another one. Okay, it's going to happen until they're gone, I'm going to go get some more. Okay, that, that's how I define things. Um, I cannot say the same thing about rice cakes. I cannot say the same thing about certain other foods. Yet my food plan is flexible enough, and it says, of course you can do that. Because I cannot stop thinking about them, my abstinence says, uh-uh, uh-uh, this is dangerous territory, Lonnie. I feel like an idiot. It's only rice cakes, people. But it's something that once I start to eat it, if I can't stop thinking about the rest of them, I have to leave it alone. And thank God I have enough um, recovery. I have enough recovery in this program to understand that concept before I get myself into real trouble. Every now and then I test the waters with other things. I have difficulty sometimes with almonds and sometimes not. You know, I have to test the waters with them. But when I run into something that slaps me in the face and says, hey, you have now crossed the territory of what your food plan, the flexibility of what your food plan lets you do, and how this might affect your abstinence. Because I'm a compulsive overeater, I cannot allow those buttons to get pushed. I cannot allow myself the luxury of indulging in a food that means later on when the food time is over, I can't stop thinking about it. Because this, remember step one? I am powerless over food. I am, and if I'm powerless over it, the hell am I doing trying to control it? I have no power over it. Step one says that. The only time a substance is mentioned in the 12 steps is the first one that says, I have no power over this. That still causes me embarrassment. But I thought, I, I think I need to talk about this because I, well, I had to work my way past the embarrassment because I come to find that, you know what, I'm a compulsive overeater. I don't have the same relationship with food that people who are not compulsive overeaters have. I see it differently. I have to measure it differently in that if I get the same size bowl every day, give me, don't, don't change the bowl size. I've had angst at work because I got the same size bowl. I put the salad in the same size bowl every day. I wash the bowl when I'm done, and somebody has absconded it with my bowl. It's gone. And what's there is a smaller bowl. What the hell do you mean it's a smaller bowl? I paid for that bowl. That's my bowl. You know, that's what I want my salad in. I, I do, I, it's the same. And, you know, I've been just fine with a smaller bowl. I've been just fine with it. When I remember that somebody stole my bowl, I think, wait a minute, maybe I'm just not supposed to have one that size anymore at lunch at work. You know, maybe I'm just not supposed to calm down. You know, I don't have to be a heat-seeking missile looking for my bowl. But if I find my bowl, I actually went through everybody's cubicles just in case somebody borrowed it, left it there, and forgot to, like, return it to the kitchen. And, and then I thought, this is insane. I can always bring another damn bowl. I can buy a bowl. It's an 89-cent bowl from the grocery store, for goodness sakes. 
you know. But 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 that is how that is how my thinking and and using that that rice cake story thing for me reminds me of the difference in what my food plan might allow. You see, my food plan will say, oh, you could eat frozen yogurt. I have not done those kinds of things because to me, looks like ice cream, tastes like ice cream, feels like ice cream. I abuse it like the other, all the other ice cream I've eaten. I was about seven years old when the measurement for ice cream became one pint. My grandmother ate it, and if she got it, doggone it, I could have it too. And I did. And there, that, that's not the, the proper measurement for a seven-year-old is that's kind of a real soft way of putting it at at the rate i was gaining weight at the physical condition that my body was in when i came here i fear to know where i would be today were it not for overeaters anonymous once i came here i never left i've gained weight in this program i didn't have to gain 100 pounds to know i gained weight but 20 25 30 pounds is a lot of weight and a person who is a hundred pounder um that's you know, a couple of dinners, a couple of TV snacks away, and the next thing I know, I'm 100 pounds overweight. And I'm sitting around going, what happened? I've watched too many other people. I've watched people walk away and think, it's okay. You know, I've, I, I, gee, I, I understand it. I've got it down pat. And come back, and when I see them again, they're 130 pounds heavier. And I don't want to be that. I'll struggle through the things that I have to struggle through, and I stay. At this particular time of the year, because there's uh, the time changes, which to me is just awful. It's daylight wasting time, just drives me nuts. And, 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 and there's that holiday, I have holiday angst and family issues right along with everybody else, um, not to be used as an excuse to compulsively overeat. I don't analyze things, by the way. I don't sit around and, and gee, well, you know what, lunch was a little bit heavier today because after all, I'm having a little difficulty and I, I, need, to, I need to, you know, nurture myself there's lots of ways I can nurture myself. I can, I can do lots of loving things and nurture myself. I can thank God for all the goodness in my life and nurture myself. I really try not to analyze myself. I already know that I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I get on the cutting edge of nuts sometimes. But um, I have a program that tells me how to get through difficulties. You know, guides me when under my own I will maybe not do it quite so well and can eat myself into oblivion. Recently at work, I had um, great difficulty with I, with someone that was supposed to be working for me, and it was getting it was starting to get nasty, and it was making me crazy. And I decided I was going to have to have a meeting with my boss and talk about this. And he knew that there was a problem, and he was really you know like burying his his head stand and not wanting to deal with it. It was no secret. It was not just me. Um, this woman's behavior was affecting everybody else that she was encountering also. But before I could go to him, my sponsor said, you know, I, think I hear a, an inventory in here. I think there's some, some four-step inventory needs to be done before you have that meeting. And I said, okay. And so I did. Well, it just so happened my boss had been out of town. I'm furiously doing my inventory, my inventory, not her inventory, my inventory. And he came back in town and he said, Lonnie, let's get together. We need to catch up. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I said, well, what about tomorrow would be better? This was a Tuesday. And he said, actually, I'd like to do it today. I said, well, okay, we'll go in the conference room. We'll, we'll close. So we did. And we talked about, we talked around the issue. And finally, I said, there's one last issue that we need to talk about. And I, I named her. And, and he said, yes, I do want to talk about her. I said, I would like to ask you to let's postpone and have this meeting tomorrow. I'm in the process of doing something. And I'll be really ready for you to talk to you tomorrow. And he said, oh, okay. 
Well, the process was I had to give away that fist step tomorrow morning when I had that conversation with my, my sponsor. And I did. I gave away that fist step, cleaned my side of the street, went into the meeting with him, laid it on the table as to, as to the behavior that I was not pleased with and what had been happening, the complaints I'd had from the other engineers regarding the behavior, and ended it with, I'm certain that she has a side to the story also. Please talk to her and let her tell her side of the story. This is, this is God-driven stuff here. This is not Lonnie at her, at her absolute finest. Anyway, I walked out of the room with, with a good heart. A few meetings later, we all come together. We decide that some things need to be done. Um, she, by the way, has never owned her behavior nor apologized for it, which, which just pissed me to no end because I want public justice. Damn it, I want public justice. And I didn't get public justice. Um, we were going to move her cubicle, and the truth was that because of what she does, it was better to leave her and move me. Now I'm really not happy. I didn't get public justice, and, and, and you know, I'm being moved. And I thought, nope, nope, wait, let's back up here a minute. I did the right footwork. I did the right thing. I prayed to God for a better attitude, just, my, just for me to have a better attitude. And so what I did was, now I moved my cubicle, I understand, 25 feet from where it was before. And I held an open house. And I sent out an email and I invited everybody to the open house. And I brought little things of raisins and little things of little Fuji apples. And that's what, that was my gift to the open house. That had nothing to do, by the way, with giving away food. I work in an engineering company and there's food everywhere all the time. It had to do with me and my attitude change. And I, I, um, it has ended up being the best spot I could sit in. I'm very happy there. And, you know, I just was able to do the real program work and then back off and let the results be taken care of. And I learned that here. I did not, I did not come to you. I came to you with management skills, but I did not come to you with, um, with program skills at all. And if somebody had told me when I first came to you that this is the way I would handle uh, conflict management, I would have laughed in your face because I know how to handle conflict management and, and actually pretty well. But with the program, with, with doing it the way I did it, with taking my own inventory, cleaning my side of the street, getting guidance and direction from my sponsor, um, handling myself really well, no bitching and complaining on my part. If I had to bitch and complain, that's what I got you guys for. I go to a meeting, bitch and complain, you give me three minutes and I get to shut up. Okay? The rest of the time I had to conduct myself professionally, and I did. And you know she's not a bad person, and I maintain that she wasn't a bad person. She's a person who behaves terribly and doesn't own it. Gee, do, why do I recognize that? Maybe because I've behaved terribly and not owned it. You know, and so it's those kinds of gifts have come to me. Not anything I came in here looking for. I came in here looking for the magic formula to give up 150 pounds and walk out and never have to spend my time when I could go home and watch television and eat bonbons or something. You know, and, and, and it's not what I get here at all. But what I get are the heartfelt life lessons that teach me the value of the program of Overeaters Anonymous the real value of doing the real work. I hear a lot of things sometimes. I hear everything is okay, and to me, everything is not okay. There's lots of things I hear that are not okay. But, you know, we stay and we work through them, and we learn. I stay. I work through them, and I learn. And um, I give a lot of service, not because I think giving service is a wonderful thing. I give a lot of service because I've had sponsors, and I have one now that sticks her elbow in my ribs all the time. I um, worked on the Region 2 committee this last year, well, you guys would have seen it in June. For us, it lasted a, a, a year going into. And 
how I ended up doing that clothing exchange, sharing that whole big, huge thing, was um, she said, you know, my sponsor said, you know, you, you've done that before, haven't you? It seems to me you've talked about, I said, yeah, I've done that for the inner group a long time ago, a couple, couple of times. She said, oh, yeah, okay, well, they need one, and, you know, you could do that. I'm like, damn, I didn't want to do this. That's a lot. That means once a month I had to drive out to Palm Springs. I have driven far and wide to eat. There is no mountain too high, no valley too low, no river. Trust me. You know, I have, I have done it. But, you know, I got to go out to Palm Springs once a month. I, I don't want to do that on a Sunday. I went out to Palm Springs every single, at once a month until, until region was done. And, and thank God, in 2005, it's going to be in Long Beach. So it's not going to be that far away because not too shortly thereafter, she said, haven't you done registration for the birthday party before? I, well, yeah. She says, yeah, well, you know, um, uh, Denise needs a chair for 2005 for registration. You know, you could do that. And she gives lots of service, so I can't, like, tell her, no, I can't. And I said, yes, I can. And that's how I do service. And that's how I did service early on in this program, by the way. I had a sponsor who did a lot of service. I get sponsors that do a lot of service. And then I had sponsors that the, the service that they did was just to be there for me when, when I was frightened and I gained weight in this program. And I was afraid and I reached out. And I reached out to a guy in the valley. And all my friends thought I'd gone absolutely insane because we were all scared of him. And I said, yeah, but I reach out to people who take this program seriously. Not people who are not without mirth and humor, but people who who believe in the 12 steps and take it seriously. I don't visit the rooms. I try to work the program as best as I can and and not stub my toe and mess up too badly and go make my amends when I need to make my amends. So, um, who's timing me, by the way? It's okay. Am I, am I close to that 30-minute mark? I'm close? All right. I've got a story I'm dying to tell you guys. It just popped into my head. you got to get it while it pops in there and it's still there. About... Four years ago, right after Christmas time, I think it was that week between Christmas and New Year's, and my husband and I are getting ready, well, well no, wait, let me get it right. We're in bed one night, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and we hear this huge crash. Now, I'm on a residential street, this huge crash, and we both set up, oh my God, and we run to the front, and we, you know, open the drapes, and we look outside, and across the street, I have elderly retired neighbors, and they have a big RV sitting right across the street, and... and Right behind that RV, someone has run right into the back of it with a brand new something cute and wedged the car right up under that RV. And she's out of the car, and she's kind of rocking it, and she's trying to move it, and she's, you know, got, trying to put it in reverse. And she, and she doesn't look like she's trying to run away. I mean, she just ran into the back of the RV. She's trying to, like, just get her car out. So pretty soon we see another neighbor, because uh, we're, we're, like, looking in this direction. And we see this lady go across and said, okay, she's really nosy. She'll take care of it. I'm not open. I'm going back to sleep. So we do, and we get up the next morning, and we're going to run errands. Next morning is a Saturday morning. We're going to run errands, and the neighbor who owns the RV, she's standing outside, and she's fussing, and she's still got her bathrobe on, and she's fussing. And so we're, we're trying to escape, and just when we pull out, she says, Lonnie, she says, do you see what somebody did to my, look what they, and I mean, this woman tore up the back of that RV, but she also tore up her car, her brand new car, which is parked, you know. And I said, yeah, she says, she says, um, no, my husband pipes up and says, well, we figured she was probably drunk. And I thought, no, I don't think she was drunk. She wasn't acting like a drunk. She was just acting like somebody trying to. And so the neighbor who was standing there talking to us, she said, oh, no, she wasn't drunk. She was trying to eat a plate of food. And she dropped something on the floor. And I went, oh, my God. And, and she lived by her address not, not more than two and a half minutes from where we were. And my husband pipes up and says, well, I don't understand why she couldn't wait until she got home. You would think, 
You would think he'd have figured it out by now. She was compulsively overeating, and she was taking that plate of food home at 2 o'clock in the morning, and she dropped something on the floor of the car and tore up her brand-new car and did thousands of dollars' worth of damage to the RV. And I went, oh, my goodness. Do I get that? Oh, yeah. Have I just missed doing that? Oh, many, many times. And was I in absolute gratitude for it? Oh, yes. Yes. You know, that night when I, I, I write every night, I journal every night, even if it's something small, I journal every night. It's usually gratitude. It's, it's, it's usually not 10-step um, amends or anything that I need to take a look at my behavior so I can clean it up tomorrow. Man, when I behave badly, I know it. I've got to clean it up instantly. I can't live with myself. I'm squirmy, and I've got to get that done. But at night, I usually write a gratitude list, and I become very, very grateful. And i got to tell you, I was so grateful for abstinence on that Saturday morning. I was so grateful for abstinence. The freedom from sugar, um, the freedom from the insatiable crave, the freedom from even thinking about something that was set off the insatiable crave, and that was before I found out the rice cake thing, so I didn't even have, that wasn't even in, in, in what I was grateful for that morning. And that I was lucky and blessed enough that I had never had that same accident myself. You know? um, the gifts of Overeaters Anonymous are powerful. That was only just, just one incident. There's lots of them. I really encourage you to um, to stay good, bad, indifferent. Having, having a really good time and, 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 and your program's going wonderful, stay. Having a really hard time and, and life is just making you hungry because you've got to deal with stuff, stay. Because no matter what, you've got to deal with stuff anyway. And if you feel good, feel good and stay so that you can share that with those who are not feeling so, so swell at the time. Um, I think my time is about up for speaking because I left myself some time for questions. Please ask me questions because I know I'll go home and go, oh, darn, I meant to say, and you know what? And they'll go, you know what? It is what it is. So thank you so much for letting me share. Okay. Okay. The, since I defined the food plan, I don't really have to talk too much about the food plan. I have a plan. I follow it most of the time to the best of my abilities. If I don't follow it for any particular meal or something, I don't sweat it. It's a plan. It's not tattooed on my heart. It's a plan. My abstinence, thank you for asking that question. Ah, my abstinence is the one thing that I get here that I have never heard in all of the diet plans that I've listened to people talk about in all of the nutritional people that, that we go to for guidance, in all the Jenny Craig commercials, in anything. And that is, they will all tell you how to eat. And nobody but Overeaters Anonymous has ever told me how to stop. And stopping is my abstinence. I'm not grateful that I get three meals a day. I'm grateful that I stop three times a day. That means that I get it and it ends. Breakfast starts and it stops. It doesn't trail its way through, and we get stuff at the office constantly, and I am the office meal planner and party lady, and, and it, no, no snacking. Somebody brought me some raisins the other day, and they looked wonderful, and I, and I eat raisins sometimes, and I said, God, they look wonderful, and I set them aside. He was waiting for me to taste them and tell him how wonderful they were, because they were from India or somewhere, and I said, you know what, I'll have these, I'll have that with my lunch. There's no trailing, there's no snacking. The meal starts, the meal stops. Any dietary program that you go to, they will tell you how to eat. 
You will visit a doctor. He will tell he or she will tell you how to eat. They will not tell you how to stop. And until I came here, I never knew how to stop. And one of the things I was able to do, so how did I stop? Because I listened to you guys and I found out that you did. I hear people say the same thing I'm saying right now. And I think, well, you know, they could stop. I could stop. I could wait. I could stop and I get it again at lunchtime. And when I get it, and believe me, my early days, I ate like a junkyard dog. I surrounded myself by everything, whatever I was going to eat, I surrounded myself, and I, did, I, I ate half, at least half of everything I was going to eat without breathing. And then I took a breath. Today I can breathe while I eat. It takes me actually a long time because I eat salads. I eat things that take me a long time to chew, and I breathe. It takes me longer to eat. Breathing requires time. And I don't want to choke, so I have to breathe carefully, you know? So in, in, in defining abstinence, refraining from not doing, abstaining from, compulsive overeating, stopping. I have had times when dinner ended and it was not enough, and it should have been, to put a should in there. But it was not enough. So I drink a six-pack of Diet Coke, gave up Diet Coke and coffee, by the way, um, about, oh my God, almost two years ago, maybe, yeah, maybe more. Um, six-pack of Diet Coke, I'm looking at television, I'm antsy. I'm antsy. What am I going to do with myself? I went to bed. Because you know what? The food stopped. Any more liquid? I'd be, you know, floating. Okay? So, um, to put a definition on abstinence the, to the best of my ability, it is not doing. It is refraining from. It is abstaining from. It's almost a dictionary-type definition from compulsive overeating. That means... No snacking, no trailing. It, it's got to be clean. It starts to stop. It starts to stop. It starts to stop. There's been a few times when I'm not hungry. I don't care. I get it anyway. I eat it. Because there's other times when I'm ravenous and it has to stop because that's it. It's over. I've announced to many rooms the meal has ended. I'm either by myself or nobody really cares what I just said. It wasn't about them. It was about I need it. I called up somebody. I just wanted to let you know the meal is over. My sponsor will say, all right, then I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. You know? It might be resentful, abstaining, not doing. Food plan. Uh, what's a rice worth? What's a cup of it worth or a half a cup? What's those doggone rice cakes? What, you know, what, what are you going to weigh and measure? What are you going to do? What are you going to contribute to um, not eating the way, uh, the way I've been eating? What am I going to do? So, so for me, it's easy today to, kind of, to make that distinction. Um, but it wasn't in the beginning. I just did. I can't even tell you where it came from. I just did. So I hope that I hope that put a little clarity on it for you. Okay? Get back. Oh, this is please. Yes, yes. This is what I do and I've done this now for the whole seventeen plus years. I step right up and I address it. I do not pretend it's not there. I have to buy cakes. I go into Hanson's Bakery. Don't you want to sample this? Absolutely not. Don't you care how it tastes? Hell no. Its name is Cake. These are engineers. They'll eat anything I bring in. Put write, write their name on it in blue, and they'll go, oh, Lonnie, that's the best cake. Of course it was, because I love you. I got that cake. What the hell do I care? I'm not going to eat the cake. However, I do not run from it. Early on in my abstinence, I would keep a Diet Coke or something, and when it was those cake times, and, it, and this, this happens constantly, I would, I would just drink a Diet Coke or I, I'd drink something. Um, well, I kind of stopped that because I, was just, I just didn't want to do that anymore. So this is what I do, and I do it out loud. 
God, that is a fabulous cake. That's happy birthday. I am so glad that you got that. Pardon me, I need to worship that cake for 20 seconds. You think I'm joking. That's exactly what I say and exactly what I do. And if it looks particularly good, I worship it for 40 seconds. And I will tell them, wait, that is a... Please let me have my 40 seconds worth of worship before you cut it. And what I'm actually saying is, thank you, God, that this is not mine. It's not mine. And I'm so grateful for the 40 seconds that I worship. This is what goes on up here. Now, of late, I've actually had to cut and serve it. And I cannot, yes, and that was my reaction. <gasps> Please don't make me do this. I've got to do this. I'm looking at Mary. She doesn't want to do it. I'm like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Get the knife, cut the doggone thing, go in the kitchen, wash my hands. I do not, I don't want to wear it like perfume, okay? I don't want to, you know what? It's not mine. And I sit down, and I have had to just sit down and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is not mine. I've got a fabulous lunch in there, in, in, in the fridge. This is not mine, but I'm... And, and just re we, last week, it was a Halloween party. I planned this party. Uh, it was a Halloween party. We had the potluck. It was wonderful. And one of the guys came in late, and he zooms in, and he's cutting dessert. And he says, ah, oh, this is fabulous. I'm in the kitchen washing my bowl, probably. And he says, this is really fabulous, Lonnie. You know, don't you try some of this. And I said, no, that's not. I said, you know what? Actually, I don't eat the sugar. But it's really fine. I've already worshipped, so go right ahead. You're, you're good. And he says, you're missing the best part. I told him, no, sweetie, I haven't missed a thing. I've had the best part. I've also been in hell, and I didn't tell him this. This goes off in my head. I've also been in hell. I heard early on in this program that Overeaters Anonymous did not open the gates of, I mean, did not, you know, open the gates of heaven and let me in and open the gates of hell and let me out. I've been there. I have been where all I could think about was what I was going to eat and when could I get it next. I could not focus. I couldn't concentrate. Um, I, it, 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 it was hell. I have no desire to go back. I do have a desire to live a great obsession. I want to eat what I want to eat and not pay the price. That's the great obsession. I'd love to do that, but that's a lot. I've, I've done that. That's called hell. So, um, but I, I to, to, end, to finish answering your question, I don't miss any parties at all. It's just not mine. It means that I will sit around and bullshit with you, and we can tell a few lies, and we can laugh for the rest of the afternoon, and we can have a great time. It does not mean that I eat anything that's on the table. And one day it was so awful, I called my sponsor because it was pizza. And they brought, and it was free from the, somebody sent these damn things. And they wasted across the room, and I was engulfed in the smell of pizza cheese and pizza. And I'm going, oh, please don't make me have to say what I said a long time ago, God, because I haven't said that since. But I called my sponsor, and she said, you know something, you're going to be just fine. She said, it is all right for you to... I was, you know, Pavlov and his dogs. I'm salivating. And, um, and, and I thought, you know, that's right. And, and they ate it, and, and pretty soon the smell went away, and it wasn't mine, and I didn't miss it, and I didn't feel deprived. I had a meal. It was a wonderful meal. I took my happy behind outside and sat in the sunshine and thanked God that I did not have to sit in there and eat the pizza because I would not be able to stop thinking about it. Okay? Is that, is that my time? That's my time. Okay, if there's anything else, you can come up and ask me afterwards. And thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you.